I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a semi-quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I want to talk about FX's new limited series, Mrs. America. Okay, I'll just jump right into it because I'm recording this little snippet of the show um, right before it's going to rain. Everybody and the mom are outside right now trying to mow their lawns. Um, and keep in mind, when I'm talking about a lawn in Baltimore, in my neighborhood, we live in row homes, so our lawns are small in comparison to what I'm used to back in Missouri. Um, and so they, they out there, you know, with their little, or actually the hustle man, hustle man, everybody has a hustle man. Hustle man on our block is out there trying to get some of our, um, <clears throat> our older get the lawns together of uh, some of our older uh, uh, neighbors anyway. And they're trying to do it right quick before the, the, um, before the rain comes. And I'm no meteorologist, but that wind is just a coming in. So I don't know that they have the time to finish the lawn, but we're going to see anyhow. um, So you are going to probably hear a weed eater and a mower as if I am sitting next to that thing, because that is how the acoustics in my alley work. Also in my front yard, uh, in the in the front of the house, that's how it works too. It's just the acoustics are loud. Anyway, or are really great, I guess. I don't know. Anyhow, but I'm gonna get right into it. Um, I debated whether or not I was actually going to review this show for two reasons. Number one, I knew I was gonna be angered by Kate Blanchett's character. Um, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett plays a woman who is in opposition to. Um, the leaders of the women's movement and the women's movement itself and, and what it was trying to accomplish in the seventies. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be angered by a show for, for what, for what reason it's, I'm trying to find, excuse me, reasons to have joy in my life. And I don't, you know, what's the point. And then two, I knew that you couldn't just talk about this show without having some context about women's issues in the, the sixties and seventies in the United States. And that has never been my forte. Um, for reasons. Um, specifically, I just was focused on learning about black history um, and trying to empower myself culturally because, again, I've shared on many different occasions that I grew up in a community where I was one of only a few black kids. Um, I was literally one of a handful of black kids that graduated my senior in my senior class. Um, so I was starved for cultural awareness and enlightenment. And so, and, and besides, I hadn't heard good things about feminist anyway, even though in a, you know, scratch the surface, you begin to understand that in my own personal life, I subscribe, subscribe to many of the same views, most of the same views. I just didn't like how some people who claim to be feminist portrayed themselves. They always came across as not, I, I didn't see them as being aware of what it's like for me to be uh, for a black woman and the, the, the unique challenges, or not even challenges, but the unique issues that we face. Well, it's the same thing as challenges, moving on. Um, and I was just like, bump that. I'd rather, you know, y'all go over there. Y'all go be in y'all's women's club. I'm gonna be over here with all the black folk. And I wanna learn more about the diaspora, where my Nigerian cousins at, you know, where my Sudanese cousins at. Let, what's, you know, let me talk about what's it like being Sudanese, um, a Sudanese uh, person 
in the diaspora and what sort of racism did you guys experience or what was it like growing up Sudanese um, and then coming here and what sort of, you know, did you experience any uh, xenophobia? Because duh. Anyway, I was in I was into that. And, you know, <clears throat> and here goes the, the lawnmower, whatever. If you hear it so bad, I'm so sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, anyway, um, oh, I hope he makes it. I hope he just finishes that little that that patch real quick and weed eats because the mower ain't gonna get everything and you're gonna have to weed eat most of that yard but moving on um which is gonna be even louder but anyway um oh it's broken my bad his little mower is broken he need to fix that anyway um um let me focus <laughs> so anyway but so I was more so interested in learning about the diaspora because I was just hungry for more Latin for more knowledge um, and I was uninterested in women's rights specifically because I just didn't think that it encompassed rights of black women, even though that's stupid, right? That's not what that is. But anyway, so I said all that to say, I know, I don't know a ton. I, I know what I've learned because I'm a history buff. So I know what I've learned as it relates to rights movements just in general in the 60s, 70s, and what became of the actions in the 80s. Um, but that's surface level. I know leading I know big names I don't know everything they did so I was like I don't even have the bandwidth to even review this show um and I watched episode one and then I just stopped because I was just like first off I hate this character like I thought I would and why do I want to watch this uh, this show I know what happened in the end in the end Roe versus Wade became law of the land and whatever attempts to thwart the women's rights movement failed so why do I even care about this show? But I was going to talk about other things, and then I got bored with those other things that I was going to talk about. Um, I started watching Killing Eve again. I actually finished up until um, the latest episode. So, oh, I go back and forth with that show, but I think I like it. Anyway, um, and because I was watching Hulu, and you know FX shows are on Hulu, I went back and I watched episode... I, I finished episode one. I watched episode two and I was just like, well, let me go ahead and just see what this is talking about. So um, I ended up watching it and there is a reason to watch it. It's just, I go into it and then in the next segment, I, uh, when I start talking about the episodes that I'm going to review today, um, there's enough to keep you there. But for me, there's not enough depth for the specific characters that each episode focuses on. But nevertheless, there's still enough to keep you there. Um, and plus, duh, Kate Blanchett, Uzo Adoba, um, even Sarah Paulson's in there. Um, uh, what's that? What's that really pretty man's name? Oh, I can't remember it. Um, anyway, there's there's interesting characters in here and heavyweight um, actors who are in here that um, make you want to stay. And of course, again, Kate Blanchett. I really admire Kate Blanchett. So um, because she's got range. I'm just saying she's got range. She she had me. And I think I go into this in, in the next... I will. I go into this in the next segment when I actually start talking about the episodes. But like there... Kate Blanchett drew me to it. And I'm just like, okay. All right. Well, let me just watch it. So I'm probably in my analysis going to get a lot of things wrong. And I'm going to miss some things. Because again, I'm just not well versed in women's... Uh, American women's history. And I have to make that plain. Because when we're talking about women's history, what we know is that the... 
first wave feminism and second wave feminism that hit the United States did not hit the same way in Europe, did not hit the same way in other Western cultures, and certainly um, African cultures in the African diaspora and in the Asian diaspora, women's rights movements just hit differently. And I don't even know that they were called that. Um, Nevertheless, um, when you're talking about rights movements, that's a Western philosophy in a lot of different ways. It's a Western type of thinking. Um, Not to say that there weren't revolutions and waves of rights movements and and new ways of thinking in all countries. Um, It's just when you're talking about first wave feminism, second wave feminism, especially in this show, Mrs. America, it is specific to the United States, right? Um, So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I watched the show again, I'm going to review it the best way that I can with the range that I have, the limited range that I have. Um, and I'd invite you to watch that thing yourself, um, and come to your own conclusions and then also do research on things you don't know. Um, I'm not a teacher and I'm not your mom, but you get what I mean. Like it's important that we kind of dissect and kind of delve into this. But what I will say is that some of the views that I have, I I stand by them in terms of how black women have been accepted in women's rights movement, because it always feels, it has always felt to me that I didn't quite belong, even though a lot of my views are, my views align. I just, it just, there's something that doesn't sit right with me to call myself a feminist or to align myself with feminism. Uh, No, that that even sounds wrong because again, when you go down to the core of it, I subscribe to the same views, but it's just, I don't know, there's something that's stopping me from identifying as a feminist and I can't quite put my finger, finger on it. It's not that I don't want to celebrate my womanhood because that's not it. Um, It's just, I don't know. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me. And I know I'm not alone in that, Um, but I can't articulate why it's hard for me. But anyway, I know the show in episode three and four, because again, I'm only, I'm only reviewing episodes one through four, even though the date of this is airing, there are five episodes out. Um, I'm only uh, reviewing episodes one through four. And so episodes three and four, in my view, really do a great job of highlighting, or at least, yeah, highlighting some of the issues or the niggling issue that sometimes separates black women or stops some black women from going full force in and accepting feminism as part of their life or accepting that they are a feminist. Um, because there's this piece where it's like, yeah, we're all together. We're all fighting for the same thing. But somehow or another, I don't feel like I'm included in this. Somehow or another, I don't feel like my views are totally thought out and included in this total argument. And you're well-meaning, but you don't get it. So let me go off and do my own thing, which is, you know, how things go. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated that aspect of, of, I really appreciated that the show spent some time, really spent some time on it. And then also talked about um, queer issues, specifically the black, the womanist movement's response to queer women being in that movement. Um, Yeah. And even that's something that persists today. A lot of men um, consider women who are strong and who want to advocate for other women to be not only anti-man, but because they're anti-man somehow or another, that also speaks to their sexual orientation. And 
now they're lesbian, which is just the dumbest logic that still persists today, but doesn't dumb logic just find a way to last like cockroaches? Anyway, um, cockroaches and, and, and what is those, Cheetos, will always last. Uh, and Twinkies. Anyway, bad ideas, cockroaches, Twinkies will last an, an atomic uh, nuclear holocaust. Anyway, um, that was dumb. Anyway, but um, so yeah, so just go with me again. I'm limited in my range. If you have a longer range, I'd love to engage with you about this particular show. Um, yeah, I, I just love to engage with you. And I've said that I... As you can probably guess, I've reviewed this um, episode, or at least I've put this episode together in chunks because I've been super busy trying to make sure I had time for myself. And so I've been doing this in chunks over days. So um, you will find that I will repeat myself a little bit in times, but the the through line is that I know I don't have the range to talk about this subject in depth, or at least the, the behind the scenes of the subject in depth. But the show itself, I feel very comfortable talking about because I enjoyed it. I am enjoying it, even though it has its flaws. So in the next segments, I'll start going into episodes one through four um, and talking about what I, li- what I liked and what I didn't like about it. Um, so yeah. And now to talk about FX's new series, um, short series, limited series, that's what they call it, limited series, Miss America. So um, Miss America is set in the early 70s. Um, the backdrop of all of the episodes to date are um, Uzo Adobo, who's playing um, Shirley Chisholm. She is in the middle of her bid to secure the Democratic nomination. Um to run against the Republican nominee for the president of the United States. It's like the springtime at this point, not quite, well, late spring moving into the summer. You know, the Democratic National Convention happens in the summertime. So I'm assuming it's like moving into spring, springtime, heading to um, the summer as the show progresses. Um, And certainly the convention, because an episode... Five, we actually get no, no, no. Episode th- uh, four, we get to the Demo- uh, the Democratic Convention in episode four. Um, or episode five, I need to go back, but definitely the mid episodes to this nine episode season. Um, and so yeah, so Shirley Chisholm is in the middle of her run for the presidential or for the nomination, the Democratic nomination for the run for presidency. Um, uh, Gloria Steinem has just just un- launched her Ms. Magazine, um, where it's, you know, big deal, supposed to be a woman's uh, magazine like any other, because it's talking about politics and other things, um, and really engaging women in a different way than magazines um, had been doing at the time. You also have simultaneously um, Bella Abzug running, um, basically doing all the legwork behind the scenes to make sure that the Equal Rights Amendment or ERA passes in the um, in Congress so that um, from her perspective, women can begin getting more rights like um, entitled to resources 
when a, in a divorce, custody, insurance, and all of that stuff, like um, generally being able to take care of themselves if they're on their own, or generally just have rights, even if they're married. Um, but definitely from her perspective, I get the sense that at least the show wants you to think that her main focus was to talk, uh, to co- protect women who were essentially, up until that point, men's property and or the responsibility of, a, of their husband. And so at the time, I'm, I'm gleaning that at the time the laws were set up, and I apologize, I was not well-versed in um, the politics at the time. Uh, the, uh, I know more about civil rights politics than I know about women's politi- politics um, and women's rights politics at the time, just because I took African-American studies in college. That was my focus. I was more interested in just learning about my, um, my culture. Um, in, in political and other ways. And while women's history was in there, women's studies, and, and it wasn't so much the feminist aspect of it and women's rights, it was more so women in the movement and what women were doing in the black power movement. So I really don't know much about the laws, except that I know everything was very much skewed to men at the time. I know that, um, a woman couldn't get a bank account without her husband signing off on it. I know that there was a lot of things that women were required to get their sign- signature from their husband or their father um, in order to do. Um, so I know that. But anyway, so the show makes you think that the majority of Bella's work really was, at, for the ERA specifically, was just to give women more rights and protections post-marriage or in the marriage, um, generally speaking, or outside of marriage, just women's rights to be able to go to work and, and earn pay that was adequate for their lifestyle and things like that. So that's what we catch Bella doing. And she's, you know, you get the sense that she's a political a heavy hitter. Um, then we are introduced to um, Betty. Oh, shucks. Why is her name drawn a blank? Betty for Dan. And I always go back and forth on how to say her name. In the show, they say Betty for, Betty for Dan, but it looks like Frieden or Free Dan instead of Betty Fur. It could, they almost it almost sounds like they say Betty Fur Dan. Um, anyway, I don't think I'd ever heard her name before, but I knew that there were multiple people leading the movement, and so or at least spearheading the charge. And so in the show, what we know is that Betty for Dan wrote this very famous book called The Feminine Mystique, and which is essentially kind of catapulted. Um, women in the 60s and 70s into, or def- definitely in the 60s, cat- kick-started, she was credited as kick-started, the second wave feminist movement in the United States, um, which was different than the first wave movement, which from what I know about some of the things that I've read about the waves of feminism um, in the United States, the first wave was more so focused on suffrage and women's right to vote, specifically white women's right to vote, let's be real, Um, because we all know what Susan B. Anthony said. And if you don't, go look it up, especially regarding the fact that she very openly said um, that women should have the right to vote before Negro men. Um, And I don't know if she said Negro, but anyway, that was a very interesting statement and something that is always something I kind of side-eyed about, which is one of the reasons why it was easy for me to focus on my cultural studies instead of exploring women's uh, history and stories, because it always felt like women's history was what white women did. 
Um, white women talked to, to other white women and white women fought for white women. And I love the fact that this show addresses the duality or at least the push and pull that black women in the women's movement had in the 70s. Um, and certainly we still struggle with in many ways today, especially black Americans. I cannot speak for anyone else. Just my perspective in, in, in the, um, the push and pull that we get or at least I feel, I can't speak for anyone else, I just said that, that I feel sometimes I, I you know, I agree. We agree. It, well, it, I'm stuttering, but my point is um, the show really does a really great job of outlining how even though black women were very much a part of the women's movement, they still felt the need to do their own thing because at the end of the day, these things get complicated and everybody thinks they're doing the right thing and it's pretty clear that Sometimes things can get muddied and you, even though you're fighting for the same cause, it just gets, things get muddied. Um, and sometimes women get alienated. And certainly there were specific scenes um, in the show, and I'll go into it, where black women were sidelined just as women were sidelined by men, but not as maliciously in, in situations, right? So I'll go into it. But there's this really touching and important scene that happens in episode four, which I'll get into. And episode four is called um, Bella. And anyway, so but I'll get into that um, because I guess just taking a step back. So I've introduced you to the main characters. Um, we've got um, Shirley Chisholm, who's played by Adoba uh, Uzo Adoba. We've got Gloria Steinem, who's played by Rose Byrne. Um, we've got Bella Abzug, who's played by, um, who's played by something Martindale. I cannot remember her name, but I've seen her in a ton of stuff. Um, and, but she's, yeah, she's not super familiar to me, but I've seen her in things. And then you've got Tracy Ullman, who plays, um, Betty for Dan. And then the other person, um, who's in the show that, I never heard, I had absolutely never heard of her. Unlike Betty for Dan, I didn't know her. I didn't know Dan, Betty for Dan's name, but I knew that there were other people who had done some really important things. I knew there were high profile figures. And so when the show was talking about her and then I went back and I did, I looked it up. It, it, she sounded familiar to me because I had known that there were other people, um, spearheading things and seeing old newsreels and stuff. Right. But the other character that is, is, Essentially, the show spends a lot of time on and a lot of time in a way that is puzzling to me. And I'll get into that is um, Phyllis Schlafly, which is played by Kate Blanchett, who is an awesome actor, very versatile, in my opinion. Um, I think I started to take notice of her when she was in that um, Bob Dylan biopic, or not biopic, it was Bob Dylan inspired movie called I'm Not There, where she actually played Bob Dylan in the 60s. Um, was really, she did a really good job. I really appreciated her. Richard Gere was in that thing. Um, there were other people that were in it too. It's kind of trippy, honestly, but, um, and kind of art housey. And of course I watched it in Syracuse because that's a art housey town. Anyway, um, but um, yeah, so I had I had started to pay attention to Kate Blanchett in the, the uh, I'm Not There movie. Um, and ever since then, when I've seen her, she's been, I've enjoyed watching her. Um, and even when she was in that, what was that, Ocean's 14? Ocean's 13? The one with where it's all women. It's like, 
not much, <laughs> not much imagination whatsoever. Um, it's just oh, the Ocean series, you know, starring Brad Pitt and George Clooney, but with women. Anyway, but I saw her in that and I thought it was pretty cool that she was supposed to be the Brad Pitt character, um, which I thought was really weird because it's like they almost made her seem like she was. She, they made her look androgynous and they made her it, it's like they tease at the fact that she might have been um, queer, but it was just weird because you know how those movies do like they'll they'll like, ooh, is she isn't she? And I'm just like make her or don't make her but like why are you making it a big deal about it like why are you making it so mysterious who she's attracted to like cut it out you're not edgy when you do that anyway but I enjoyed her all the same because I think she's a versatile actor anyhow so but she's in this film and as much or or this show and as much as I like her I had never heard of her character before and I'm struggling even now to understand why she's so she's given so much focus because the Equal Rights Amendment passed, Roe versus Wade passed, um, abortion is, had been has been legal and and for decades, and though it's under attack and has been attacked for the last couple of years, and certainly certain states have done their due diligence to uh, roll back a lot of their protections and and thereby doing so put a lot of women at risk. Um, I don't understand clearly the movement that she was leading, and we'll get into that. But clearly, the movement that she was leading failed. So I'm struggling to understand why she has such prominence in the show. And let me, speaking of the show, let me go to the structure. The structure of the show makes it seem as this. Each episode is titled after one of the lead characters. Episode one, Phyllis Schlafly, who I was just talking about, played by Kate Blanchett. Episode two, uh, Gloria, um, played by uh, uh, Rose Byrne. Episode three... Um, Shirley, played by Uzo Adoba. And then episode four, Betty, played by Tracy Ullman. Um, Even though those titles suggest that those episodes are supposed to be focusing on them, and certainly some do better than others, all of them focus on them. But every last one of them have Phyllis Schlafly in the background, or hell, in the foreground, and many of them, and I'm so confused. Like, you can't tell the story of the women's movement without talking about the opposition to it. Like I know Kate Blanchett is a huge star and I appreciate her, but like, why are you spending so much time including her own episodes, especially Shirley's episode? Like why? I don't, I don't care about anybody else. I want Shirley. I want to hear more about Shirley. And I am, and I'm a, I'm very ignorant to a lot of history. Um, even though I've always known about Shirley Chisholm, I'm confused about for some reason, I thought she was queer. But in the series, like, she has a husband? And maybe, you know, maybe she did have a husband, but maybe she was also a little queer, too. I don't know. Like, I wanted to hear more about that. I, I wanted to hear more about how she... I, I wanted to hear more, so I'll get into that in a second. Um, but... I'm just confused why we're hearing so much about Phyllis Schlafly and why we spend so much time on learning about her and her deviousness. And I'm going to just go straight into that because I actually hate her character. I absolutely hate her character. I hate the women who are portrayed in it as being anti-feminist because it's it's very it's like you're acting in your own against your own best interest, like terribly so. And I'm like, okay, so you're not starting off on the right foot 
by wanting me to like this show. The only reason why I'm liking this show is because you have Uzo Adoba in it, and I happen to enjoy Kate Blanchett, but I do not like this character. So help me to understand. And I also love... I love learning history, but more so because I know this is a show, I like to go look up what they're talking about, right? Um, So anyway, um, I'm confused. I also don't really love Gloria Steinem's character. And I don't know that we're supposed to love these characters, like all of them, but I need you to put some respect on Shirley's name Um, and not in a contrived way. I need you to like for real, put some respect on her name. And when we get to her episode, I just, I'm not in love with that episode. So anyway, but let me just, let me just, just say this real quick before I dive into it. So I'm reviewing episodes one through four. And again, I'm not going to do deep dives in them unless I change my mind. I'm not doing deep dives in them because there are people who are smarter than me, who understand feminist theory, who understand the first wave and the difference between the deep difference between the first wave and the second wave, feminist movement and all of that, uh, and who are just generally smarter about women's issues um, and who could really speak to some of the topics that I'm going to talk about because I just want to talk about it, but somebody smarter than me, especially when we get to Shirley's episode and Betty's episode, we'll be able to talk more smartly about it. And if I catch wind of them, I will definitely share those links to those shows because I just enjoy listening to smart people talk about things that interest me. So, but anyway, so let me just get into it. So what I'm clearly, clearly It's important to understand the opposition to the ERA, especially the woman's opposition to the ERA, right? So I understand why Phyllis Schlafly is in this show. Um, Episode one is all about Phyllis and is setting the stage as if to say she's a homemaker. She's also a very intelligent woman who's married to a very intelligent man who, for all intents and purposes, they have a pretty um, respectful relationship in that he respects her intellect it seems as if her husband who's played by that silver-haired guy who's always in a lot of stuff who's who's like looked like he grayed looked like Anderson Cooper in that he grayed way before he was actually gray that his skin is like he's aging you can clearly tell he's like close to his 60s but like John something anyway that his anyway he's his hair was way grayer way longer than it was actually he you know He should have been gray. Um, But anyway, he was in Mad Men. He's in a bunch of stuff. Anyway, so he's playing Kate Blanchett's husband. And so he's a legislator and all of this stuff. And they're living in Illinois. And she is trying to make it in politics. Um, She had a failed bid to be a state representative. Um, And when we meet when we meet Phyllis, she's She's thinking about doing it again. You know, she's trying to get some support on certain bills and certain um, actions so that she can win favor um, in, you know, the political world so that she when she tries again, she has a better chance Um, because, you know, to run a campaign, you need funding, you need support, you need actual money, but then you also need people support and all of that stuff. People who are already have who already have um, positions who are trusted to vouch for you. So she's, she's moving and shaking and she's trying to play the game. And you get the sense that the husband wants her to be happy, but at the same time wants her to be home. And there's a whole conversation about that in her episode. Um, it very much though starts with her being in a bikini and being in some sort of contest and then um, going on a TV show 
um, where she has a conversation with James Marsden. Is it James? Yeah, James Marsden, who, boy, he is aging like a real good wine. Anyway, um, ooh, he's fine. Um, anyway, um, so he's interviewing her. I think he faked hands. He, he must fake tan because he's always like an orangey color. <laughs> Let me not get distracted, but he's still cute. Anyway, um, so, or at least he's an orangey color in the show. Anyway, um, so he's clearly a misogynistic character. Um, and he's also in politics. He's some sort of legislator. Um, anyway, so she needs to curry favor with him. So she goes on the show and she talks about this particular issue that is like a hot button issue and he's being diplomatic and she's just going for it because again, she wants to say it, tell it like it is, which is ironic because that's one parallel that she and Shirley Chisholm have. Shirley was known in her campaign for telling it like it is right. Not being ashamed of being smart, not being ashamed of being sure of herself and and which is which is counter to the image of a woman who was supposed to be quiet and not not uh, make a man feel small because she's smarter than him or or not show that she's smart for fear that she might upset a man or whatever. Right. So in this show, Phyllis is showing how smart she is and she's really giving it to James Marsden's character, who I didn't even bother to learn. But anyway, he's a political figure. Um Anyway, so they have this banter going back and forth and then they end and it's clear that he's a little uncomfortable, but he's like, this is all the more reason why I need you in Washington to come and talk about this particular topic. I think it was like on nuclear weapons or something like that because she's super smart. She's college educated, Phyllis, right? So she's, she's like, all right, all right. Yeah, this is cool. I, I could get into this. You can tell very, from the very beginning that it's an ego thing for her. She knows she's smart. She knows she's got a lot to offer. She knows she can get things done. You're not going to tell her too much, right? But we also get the sense that she's very much a woman of her time in that she wants to please her husband. She wants to seem like a good housewife too. Um, She has, again, she has an ego. And so she doesn't want to appear like she's a bad mom. She doesn't want to appear that she's not taking care of the home and things like that, even though she has a maid, which is really weird. Because, like, how are you taking care of the home when you're paying somebody to do it? But anyway, <coughs> um, anyway, maybe that's my modern thinking talking, but it just sounds absurd. <laughs> you taking care of the home. No, yo, yo maid, Willie, what's her name? Willie Mae. Willie Mae is taking care of your home. And Willie Mae is the name of my uh, grandmother on my mother's side, so that's why I remember it. Anyway. But Willie is is taking care of your uh, home, not you, boo. Anyway, so, but she gets to this point where she's like, all right, cool. She tells her husband, I'm going to Washington because she's going to see um, James Marsden's character. She's going to catch up with him. And then she's going to have this talk about this super fancy topic like rocketry or some junk like that. Anyway, and her husband in that moment is like, nah, I don't want you to, I, I, I support you. It's like one of those, I support you question, but, or I support you comma, but situations where he's just like, but who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to be home? I need you to be home when the kids come home. So sort of stuff like that. Like, so now you start to see that like he supports her as long as he, she's doing what he wants her to do. They have a respectful, amiable relation, amicable relationship. Anyway. So she, he's like, well, you need to be home. Don't stay over there. Successful down there. So Again, they're in Illinois. She's she's going to D.C. 
So she fly. Apparently she flies to DC. She meets up with James Marsden's character and conveniently he can't talk to her. He's super busy. He can't talk to her before the meeting. He wants to have dinner with her after the meeting. And she's like, but I need to be home. I have plans. I got a plane to catch after this meeting. He's like, but you have to go to dinner with me because you know where we're going to go. All the people that you need to impress for your next uh, campaign bid, they're going to be there. So you need to rub shoulders with them. This is the, where they go eat. Now, in this moment, you get a sense that maybe it's a little true, but it's mostly that James wants to seduce um, Phyllis, her character, because it's clear, like, it's clear that this dude is a hound dog, right? It's clear that he's just trying to get as much as he can get, and he wants to get Phyllis. Um, So she initially says yes, which blew my mind, because I'm just like, girl, what are you playing at? Like, are you that ambitious? that you are willing to just, you know what this, you know what's going on. You're smart enough to know what's going on. So why are you saying yes? Do you think that you can escape his advances? I, that's not going to happen. But anyway, so she says yes. And then they, they go into the meeting. And of course, at the time, most, if not all of the political or the legend, people in, in Congress were men, right? So for this, this meeting that they're having about this very important issue, which she was called by James Marsden's character to lead, a bunch of these men come in for the meeting and they dismiss the secretary, James Marsden's secretary, who is, of course, a woman, um, a young woman, too. Um, and so... They dismiss her because they want it off the record, right? So James Marsden gives uh, Phyllis the... James Marsden's character gives Phyllis the floor to start talking about this very important subject that she is the subject matter on, uh, subject matter expert on. And in the middle of her really ramping up to talk about the issue, one of the congressmen says, okay, hold on, stop. Can you... And and looks right at Phyllis and says, can you take uh, unofficial notes? I want to make sure that we're capturing everything we talk about here. And then she stops and it's like, she gives this look like I'm talking. I'm the expert. You won't notes. You should take that shit yourself. Oh, excuse my language. You should take that yourself. I apologize. I will put, uh, <laughs> I will put a little note in that you should take that yourself. And anyway, so, but she swallows her words and I'm just like, okay, so now you're starting to anger me. Um, because now you know what's happening to you and instead of getting up and walking out now you're going to get up and go get the pen and paper and you're going to come back and take notes even though you're the subject matter expert and i'm thinking okay well put yourself in her shoes maybe she felt no power to do anything else which again aligns her very much with what gloria steinem bella abzug and betty Friedan were all about and trying to do and certainly um shirley chisholm were all about trying to do which is give women the rights and the, the respect when they're in the room when they're the subject matter experts to be excuse me, excuse me subject matter experts anyway um so so yeah, so, but instead she goes, she's completely humiliated in this moment. She gets up and she goes outside to um, James Marsden's um, secretary, who again has been dismissed to the hall to sit at her desk. She goes and says, can I borrow a pen and a paper? And the, the secretary says, here you go, Ms. Schlafly. And this enrages Miss Mrs. Schlafly, uh, Phyllis Schlafly, because she is married. And back in the day, again, 
the the uh, the few things that women could cling to other than you know she could have children and she has the best home um was the fact that she was married because it was better for you to be married um and be a mother because it wasn't good enough for you just to be married that you also had to be a mother but an important title that you would get or that you would strive for at least some women would strive for was their MRS instead of like their doctorate, you know, the BA and, and, and all of that. Um, she would, you know, you'd strive to become married and marry someone who's powerful and all of that stuff. And anyway, so in this moment, she has been utterly humiliated by these men, right? Even James Marsden didn't even come to her defense. His, his character didn't come to her defense. So she's been humiliated even by the man who said, you're here as the subject matter expert. So she goes out and what does she do? She takes her, she turns her anger and frustration at them and she turns it on this, this poor secretary by saying, Mrs., I'm married. And as a way to say, well, you might be Ms., but I'm Mrs., okay? I'm more distinct, okay? You're not just going to make me seem like I'm some, uh, some unmarried woman. I'm married. Um, and so she essentially dresses her down in that moment. And then the girl quickly says, okay, sorry, Mrs. Schlafly. And then she goes in there having conquered this poor child, but goes in there and once again, sits down and takes notes like the woman of no consequence. These people think she is. And it's just, I get, I get angry because I'm like, girl, you have more, you have so much in common with the women's liberation movement and the leaders of that movement. And in that moment, what does she decide? She decides to remember a conversation that she had with uh, Sarah Paulson's character, who Sarah Paulson is in here, and I don't know the name of her character because I don't care. But anyway, Sarah Paulson initially had introduced her before she went to Washington. Sarah Paulson's character introduced her to the idea of the, the uh, Betty Friedan's book, um, Feminine Mystique, and how disgusting the women's movement is and that they all want, they want to send all their daughters off to war and they want to make them lesbians too. Um, because that was the prevailing thought back in the day. Um, and so in the moment, flash forward back to DC, um, well, hold on, before we go back to DC, in the moment when Sarah Paulson's character tells, uh, Kate Blanchett's character, Phyllis Schlafly about this movement, Phyllis shrugs it off. She just completely shrugs it off. Cause she's like, it's whatever. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in this issue that I'm talking about. And so, on her way to uh, James Marsden's office, um, she runs into uh, the women's liberation um, women who are protesting to support the ERA outside of Congress. She runs into those crowds and hears them. And she has this exchange with James Marsden's character um, where clearly he's in support of the ERA. And she's and he says something nasty to her. Even then he's like, oh, well, that's not I'm sure that's not your cup of tea. You don't talk about that sort of thing. He already typecast her as not someone who would want liberation. She wants to be owned and things like that. Again, showing that he even though he respects her mind, that he views her as an object too so anyway and plus he wants to get with her but anyway um so now flash forward to the meeting where she comes back into the room after these uh congressmen have essentially demoted her from subject matter expert to the doggone secretary in this in the circle um she comes back and she's writing her notes and then she starts blurting out some anti-womanist movement or feminist movement rhetoric. And in that moment, she gets the attention of the, uh, 
these congressmen. And it's in this moment where you where you see her heel turn. Right. So before she was just kind of apathetic to the whole thing. But now she's an out and out. This is the start of her villainy. Um, she it's in this moment that she decides the only way that she's ever going to get any sort of movement or power is if she stands in opposition to these people because nobody likes them, not really. And if I lean into this whole womanhood thing and and being at home, power is being a woman at the home and being a housemaker and having a husband, that's your real power. Um, Then I will get fame and notoriety, right? So she, the end of the episode, she is now turned completely into being a, a martyr or not a martyr, but a champion against the ERA and and starting to make waves in her home state of Illinois. And she starts organizing the housemakers and the homemakers around her um, to be in opposition of the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, yeah, she starts her ground game with newsletters. And so that essentially concludes episode one. And we hear about Phyllis. And so it's from this point that I'm thinking, okay, we will hear about her again, but she won't be like a prominent figure in these episodes because episode two is about Gloria, right? Episode three is about Shirley and episode four is about Betty for Dan. But oh no, we open episode two, which is clearly titled Gloria with Phyllis. And I'm just like, okay, I want to learn more about Gloria Steinem because I really don't know much about Gloria Steinem. And so anyway, I'm not even going to go into the details of what happens to with Phyllis other than her movement is growing and she's getting more notoriety. She's on the, she gets to be on the Phil Donahue show and it's clear that the women in the women's movement don't take her seriously. Better for Dan, um... Bella Abzug and um, Gloria Steinem, I ain't studying her. They're not too much paying attention to her because they have the support that they need in the Senate or in the Senate and the House to pass the ERA, right? And so they're not studying her. They're just trying to, you know, uh, quibble about what's in the Equal Rights Amendment before it actually passes. And so also backing a political candidate for president in the Democratic Party that will, has a really great chance of winning and who will also be on their side. And so um, at this moment, George McGovern is also running for the Democratic ticket uh, nomination, but so is Shirley Chisholm. Um, And Gloria Steinem very clearly, it, it gets the sense it's kind of weird, but the show kind of makes it seem like she she supports Gloria, she supports Shirley Chisholm, but it's like she's being naive about her support of Shirley Chisholm, which that's what the show portrays. And I'm just like, that's kind of crappy. That's, that's kind of crappy to put it in those terms, but, or to, to kind of portray it that way. But that's certainly what Bella Abzug thinks. Um, but we'll get into Bella in a second. Um, but no, so even though we hear a whole more, a lot more about um, Phyllis, We get to hear about, we get to learn a little bit about um, Gloria Steinem and not as much as I wanted. Um, We learn that she is, while she's, uh, you know, she's juggling maintaining her brand new magazine um, and keeping it relevant and also struggling with the idea of taking on leadership, more leadership in the women's movement. 
Um, Bella is pushing her to be the sole spokesperson because they're tired of Betty um, for Dan because she's a loose cannon and she says she's a hothead. She says a lot of stuff that can get them in trouble. And Bella wants them to be more politically savvy um, and more um, politically um, agile so that they can align themselves with or uh, other Congress folks that have influence to be able to, you know, get what they want. Because at the end of the day, Bella is all about just getting as many rights through this Equal Rights Amendment Act as she can. And so she's trying to horse trade. And and p- side note, up until this point, we really don't know much about Bella Abzug. It's kind of implied that you know about her already. And so if you don't know about her, it would behoove you to go look into her because she had a, I looked into her and she had a long political career, um, actually. And the reason why she was a go-to person is because she knew about the politics because she was in politics for many, many years, decades even. So there's more to her story than what we learn in the show. But nevertheless, you get the sense that she's the brains of the thing. She's the behind the scenes worker. She's not the public face. She's the behind the scenes worker. You know what she looks like because she's always the woman in the hats. And indeed, I was familiar with Be- um, Bella Abzug and Gloria Steinem, but Bella Abzug more so because she was the lady with the hats. I remember her just learning about history and talking about the rights and movement and I, I heard about Gloria Steinem, but I really heard about Bella Abzug because of the way she was moving in politics. I guess or that's the thing that jumped out to me, I guess. Anyway, so, you know, so Bella's trying to push Gloria to take on leadership. And, and Gloria is really focused on trying to include um, abortion rights in the ERA re- legislation. And Bella's like, Legislation And Bella's like, uh-uh, that's not going to fly with the people that we're currying favor with. Because again, Bella's a consummate politician. So she's just trying to horse trade and figure out what she can get, what, what she can live without so that she can get what she really needs um, in the ERA. And so, you know, but, but Gloria's really pushing it. And anyway, so we're, you know, she's reluctant to be a leader. She just wants to run her magazine. She just wants to live free and do what she wants. Um, and so, but Bella's continuing to push her. Meanwhile, so she's juggling her magazine. She's juggling her leadership in the women's movement. And then also she has this relationship with Jay Ellis's character, who's like Franklin Thomas, who I don't even know who Franklin Thomas was other than clearly her love interest. And Anyway, so they have this relationship and it's clear that she's having fun, he's having fun, but ultimately he wants more from her and she's not ready to give him more. And even though we don't learn as much about Gloria as I would like to, we do learn that the reason why she's so, she's so um, for including, she's so adamant about including abortion rights into the Equal Rights Amendment um, Act or Equal Rights Act is because she herself had an abortion and it was by chance, or I guess the show makes it seem like it was by chance that she went to a place that took care of her and they were doctors. And so they were sanitary and she was not in the United States. She was abroad. Um, and you know, she'd come from this background where her parents were very strict and wanted a lot from her. And she was always disappointing her mother and she has a strained relationship with her mother. And it's clear that I 
think her background was affluent, but like she wanted to reject that and she wanted to reject the life that her mother wanted for her, which was to be a wife, right? Um, and so anyway, so she has this, she has this fiance that she's broken up her engagement with and she no longer wants to have the child. And so she goes to these doctors in England and she has this poignant moment with them where the, number one, the doctor says, okay, well, we'll move forward with abortion, uh, the abortion under two conditions. Number one, you agree to never use my name or never use our name or where we are in any, you know, never tell anybody about who we are. Um, and number two, you live your life the way you want to live it. And it's like, this is the first person, older person and a man at that, that told her to do what she wanted to do with her body, not telling her about her own body and what she should do with it. And so you get the sense that that's really the genesis for why she wants, um, she wants uh, abortion rights to be included in this act because she is number one, not only does she want women to stop subjecting themselves to certain death or infection from these less reputable places where they would get an abortion for whatever reason they would get one for, but that she also wants women to be free to decide what they want to do with their body in their life because it's their body and their life. They're no one's property. They are their own person. They belong to themselves. And so I think that was cool. I appreciated hearing that and understanding that part of her and that she ultimately loves it's clear that she deeply loves and respects Franklin um but that she doesn't want to be tied down she wants to do what she wants to do um and so but we don't really hear more about her we don't really get into the meat of her and I don't know why that is because isn't um Gloria Steinem still alive Gloria Steinem still very much doing a lot of work Gloria Steinem popped back up and did a whole bunch of work when those um when you know a lot of those um Republican states were doing undoing in the United States. We're doing a lot of um, harm in, in terms of trying to undo aspects of Roe v. Wade in certain points to the point where, to, in the way that they could by like closing down um, uh, Planned Parenthoods and things like that. So, so anyway, so oh shoot, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so Gloria. My point was Gloria Steinem is still around to talk with. So. Did they not consult with her or did she not give them license to talk much more about her life? I'm so curious why we don't know that we had a literally a whole show, a whole episode titled Gloria. And all we got was that she was juggling a lot and that she had a lot of responsibility. And we had an actress in Rose Byrne who really did. They styled her really well. And, and at least they got her. She Rose got her voice down or at least the, the tone of her voice down. Um, from newsreels that I've listened to Gloria um, speak on, but like we really don't hear a ton more about Gloria. And even at the end of the doggone thing, she rejects, um, she she gets in a fight with Bella because it's clear that Bella, or, yeah, Bella does not support Shirley Chisholm, not really. And that she's like, I don't want to be a leader if it means that I'm always having to sacrifice what I really believe in. I want abortion in here. I want abortion rights in this bill. And I also want to vote for Shirley Chisholm because she's the candidate I actually believe in, not just, not George McGovern, who is a man and who will probably just tell you what you want to hear, only to turn around and do exactly what he wants to do. 
right? So that's kind of where we are with it. And she's, she's not into the politics of it. So the episode ends with her walking away when Bella was trying to, in a meeting, nominate her to be the spokesperson. And Bella's like, um, why are you leaving? We haven't even voted yet. She's like, oh, don't worry. I don't care who's the leader. I'm not running. Even though Bella had just told her that she was going to nominate her. Um, like a little while earlier, like a couple of days before or whatever, Bella Abzug said that I want to sideline Betty for Dan. She's a, she's a loose cannon. I want you to be the leader. Um, Gloria is fed up. She wants to, she doesn't want to compromise on abortion rights and she does not want to compromise on her beliefs. So she leaves, she leaves the room and that's how the episode ends. And again, we learn a lot about Gloria, but not as much as I'd like to. And we still hear way too much, in my opinion, about, excuse me, Phyllis Schlafly. And again, maybe because I didn't study women's history and I certainly didn't study the women's movement. Um, I don't know why Phyllis is so important. And so I will begin to look into her, even though I hate her character. Absolutely hate her, loathe her character. Um, not, Not palatable at all, in my opinion. I don't even empathize with her because when I would empathize with her, she turns right back into, she, she takes that empathy and weaponizes it somehow and makes me regret, regret uh, empathizing with her in the least bit. So, which is a sign of a very great actor in, in Kate Blanchett. That's why I appreciate her work so much because she knows what the heck she's doing. And she doesn't seem like she's acting, she just is acting. Um, and so anyway, so, so yeah, that's episode one and two. And then we get on Shirley and I have a lot to say about Shirley's episode because again, it was more like Gloria's. We learn about Shirley, but daggone it, do we learn enough? In my opinion, we don't. Okay. So episode three is all about Phyllis. Um, And Phyllis, not Phyllis, why did I say Phyllis? Episode three is all about Shirley and her run. um, Well, I know why I said Phyllis, but I'll get to it in a second. Um, All about her presidential run. Again, as I said, the show begins, um, this season, it begins right, I'm guessing it's like, I'm, I'm not really sure how quickly time moves because again, each episode is talking about or focusing on one character, although it's still including Phyllis. And so I'm not sure if it's focusing on that character in the same time frame as they have been focusing on other characters. But nevertheless, it, it, it appears as if they're in like the springtime of, uh, so the springtime, which would mean they are marching closer and closer to the summer convention um, in t- uh, Florida. I guess it's going to be in Florida that year. Um, and so Shirley is on the move. She has just finished a primary and she only got 1% of the vote, but she still has delegates that she controls. And it's at this point where she's starting to get some pushback from Bella Abzug, who, as I've mentioned, is very politically savvy and all about in horse trading and things like that. And, and very much wants to not only get, not only not focus on abortion so that she can get you know, support because again, she knows how Washington works. You scratch your back, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. So she wants to pass something that is palatable in the ERA for, uh, excuse me, these 
legislators that she's trying to win over, but also she wants to back George McGovern for president because he seems like a better bet to run against Nixon and win in this term. And so, um, so in her mind, she's like, Shirley's not going to win. Shirley, you should just drop out. You've, you've done a good deed. You've done what you needed to do. And Shirley, I think there's this meeting that happens. I'm pretty sure it's in, in Shirley's episode, but Shirley is like, I'm not running symbolically. I'm running because I want to win this thing. And so, you know, they have this little meeting where Gloria's at the table, uh, Bella's at the table and Shirley's there. And I think, I think, um, uh, uh, Betty, Betty for Dan is there too. But, um, anyway, it's very clear that, the support that Shirley thought she had in the women's movement with these these women, she has it from Gloria, but she needs it from Bella, and she's not going to get it from Bella. Bella has already kind of drawn her line in the sand, and she keeps saying every time she sees Shirley that she should drop out of the, the race and give her uh, delegates over to McGovern so that she's not splitting the vote and, and thereby messing up his chances um, as the strongest candidate to beat Nixon to be able to win the Democratic nomination. But she's like, oh, no, don't try to play me. So anyway, she leaves. She leaves that meeting and we see her on the move. We see her um, because she's a presidential candidate. Now she has people. She has Secret Service agents on on her, um, making sure that she's safe. And of course, they're uh, white men because uh, another fact, not only were politicians uh, white men back in the day, but so was the FBI. And I think we've all kind of learned that. Um, if you've watched documentaries and stuff about crime and things like that, then you know a lot of law enforcement, just in general, if you have family or friends, you know, that are connected to the law enforcement, you know, for the longest majority of the time, a lot of officers were white um, and Irish, depending on where you were, but like they were white. And so FBI agents that are, are or was it Secret Service, Secret Service that was tailed on her, um, that was detailed to her are white men. Which is interesting because one of the things that we learn is, number one, Shirley is a black woman candidate for president. She believes she can win. But she's also wanting to be the president for all folks. So one of the ways that she's trying to get support is obviously going to the black leaders and the black groups in her and influential groups in her purview so that they can, she can get their support so that she can begin to be taken more seriously. If she's got her people backing her and these strong organizations, then of course, you know, she's going to feel like a real contender. So she has, it's clear that she has uh, the Black Panthers that are in her corner and she's accepted donations from them. She is currently still courting or at least trying to maintain um, support from the NAACP um, in her presidential run, but it's very clear from one of the leaders of the NAACP that they want to back someone that they actually think can win. And so here goes this running theme. Shirley, thank you so much for doing this. You're the first woman, black woman candidate, but you're not going to win essentially is what they're telling her that she heard it from Bella. And now she's hearing it from, um, her, her friend in the NAACP leadership. And so it's like people are beating down on her. And it's at this moment where I'm realizing, you know, I've always known that Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman uh, presidential candidate. But what I didn't understand was, I guess I never took the time to learn was 
the amount of pressure that she probably had to have been under. And not that symbol, not, um, how can I explain it? Like that real death threat, death threats um, from men and women, people who thought that how dare this black woman read another racial slur, um, try to run for president or how dare this woman think that she can, you know, or, and again, read uh, a, a slur or another word. How dare she think she can do this? You know, women don't have the temperament to lead and run, become president. Um, and, and we've heard this as early as, what, the 2000s, the, the 2010s, something like that. Remember when, um, remember when, what's her name? Hillary was running, regardless of what you think of Hillary. Whenever she was running, remember when people were saying, um, yeah, she doesn't have the temperament for it because she's a woman or not, not in those words, but basically alluding to the fact that because she's a woman, she doesn't have the temperament to be a president. Um, and look where we are now anyway. Um, but anyway, regardless of what you think of her, that's dumb, that's done logic. And so if you think that that was absurd to hear that about Hillary, just imagine what Shirley was getting. She was getting it worse. Um, even worse than Kamala. Cause let's be real. There's race, racism exists even now. And folks are just coming out of the woodworks, as we know, being racist in the United States. Um, but they were more bold and blatant about it and willing to act on their physically on it, on their hatred. And so her life was for real in danger. And so we also see at this time, so she's trying to maintain the delegates that she has, and she's trying to hold her head up high. And despite the naysayers trying to push forward, her intent at this moment, and again, I feel like it's like April or something like that, April or May, her intent in this moment when we pick up on her, is to make it to the convention in July. I think that's when the Democratic National Convention always is. Anyway, um, keeping those delegates. And then meanwhile, so she's got these Secret Service agents on her because she's getting real threats. She's also having conversations, you know, she's trying to keep people in her corner um, but she's also has a cool moment with Nishi Nash's character, whose name I cannot remember, and I guess I will look it up. But Nishi Nash is in here, and she's a black woman, a part of the um, women's movement. And we hear more about Nisi Nash's character in the next episode, episode four. But, um, you know, she's a part of this movement, and she wants, she wants, she's like, keep going, girl. I got you. We got you. Keep doing this for us. You're doing this for us. Um you know, because again, there's alignment in womanhood, but also there's alignment in culturally in our, in, in our culture. And that meant something and still does mean something that a black woman could be a presidential candidate, um, could be the president. And so imagine how much more that meant back in the 70s where, you know, Shirley was telling it like it is and picking up all sorts of support from black folks and white folks and, and other people of color, um, respected people, high, high income people, low income people. Um, you know, like she seemed like she was real viable. And yes, the specter of, of George McGovern was right in her face and, and all of that. But like they still wanted to have hope that she could, you know, really generate that support. And so we find that after she even after she's had this conversation, she's still pained with the idea that she's still got to play this delicate game to make sure she doesn't lose the support that she does have. And she's not forced to give up her delegates again because she wants to make it to the national convention. And so there's this one scene that I'm so confused about. And I think I just need to look it up. But it's clear that Shirley Chisholm had a relationship. And I'm actually looking up while I'm talking about it. Um, 
Shirley Chisholm. Because I, when I was in college, when I was in college, oh, she was married twice. That's so strange to me because when I was in college, let me look on her Wikipedia page. Um, I heard about Shirley Chisholm, mostly from the Deltas, um, because the Deltas, what you know, just pause parenthetically for a second. So among all the black Greeks, you got AKA uh, of the women, the sororities, AKA um, Delta Sigma Theta, Zeta Phi Beta, Sigma Gamma Rho, right? Those are the four sororities in the divine, the historically black sororities in the divine nine, right? The Deltas have always been known to be politically, politically motivated. We're all politically motivated, but the genesis of Delta was wrapped around politics in many ways, right? Especially around the suffrage movement. Um, and, and even though people like Susan B. Anthony really didn't mess with black people like that, they were so more so focused on getting voting rights for white women and not black women or uh, people, women of color. Um, another conversation for another day. Um, yeah, the Deltas were huge. They had a huge part of politics from the early, their early days of their beginning uh, of their organization right up and through the 60s and, and even until and until today, right? Um, as the president of my local um, council, I, no, not as president. I just happened to be president. But with my sorority, I happened to go to a political event that they were hosting um, back in February. And I thought it was really awesome what they were talking about and how they were galvanized. So, but anyway, um, I know that, I don't even know if she is a Delta. I just remember hearing the Deltas uh, around me talk about her more so than anybody, any other, anybody else that we talked about. Um, but anyway, in the black circles that I moved in, I could be making this up. It just, it, it could have been a coincidence that they were Deltas that were telling me about Shirley Chisholm and not that Delta has a special place in their heart for Shirley Chisholm. Um, but anyway, um, for some reason, I remember hearing about Shirley Chisholm as if she were queer. And I don't know if this was one of those things that's apocryphal, that people made it up because they, they wanted it to be true, or that she absolutely was true. But for the longest time, I thought she was for real queer. At, wow. You know what I meant. I thought she was queer. And so when looking at her, number one, when I saw the show, and I'm like, who is this man that's with her? Like, what's that, her friend, her brother? Who is that? Um, and then it was clear that that was her that was somebody who was romantically connected with her. And I was like, but I thought she was queer. And then I look it up now and she was married twice. Uh, Conrad Chisholm, which is, I think, the man that uh, is supposed to be portrayed in her episode, is her first husband. And they divorced in 77. And then Arthur Hardwick was her second husband. But that marriage ended with his death. But yeah, so in the show, Conrad Chisholm is supposed to be his uh her first husband and that's wild to me because again I just maybe it's just apocryphal maybe she wasn't queer maybe she was queer but it wasn't nobody's business to really talk about it like that but um but yeah so she was hold on I'm just seeing something right quick nope nope it's not talking about anything wikipedia could be it's like hit or miss and I I think I want to go somewhere else to find out if there's a queer uh, aspect to her life. But anyway, um, I, I swore she was queer. Anyway, so 
the only reason why I bring it up is because I thought that the interaction was a little weird. It was like, it was lovey-dovey, but not really. And maybe it was because it was towards the end of, end of their marriage and they weren't being intimate anymore because the strain of her political aspirations was too much on the marriage. I don't know what ended the marriage, um, but I imagine that political careers, especially in the face of danger and death threats and stuff like that, would probably take a toll on a marriage. Um, but anyway, excuse me, she, um, the way that the two of them were portrayed, I didn't, it seemed strange to me, largely because I was like, wait a minute, but I thought Shirley was queer. But um, anyway, I just thought it was a little odd because they weren't as affectionate as you would expect. But then maybe also that was a part of the times because flashing back to Phyllis, which Phyllis was all up and through this episode too, um, because she's getting more notoriety and blah, blah, blue and all of that stuff. And again, I'm still like, why is she getting airtime right now? I love Kate Blanchett, but why is this character getting airtime? Anyway, so she was in there and, and I don't remember Phyllis and her husband being outwardly affectionate in the public. You know what I mean? Like even in big groups of people, I don't, I don't, they're not being portrayed as being outwardly affectionate, which makes me think that the sign at, at the, the times, the norm of the times was dictated that you're not super affectionate in public or something like that. But even in intimate moments, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they're playing it. Maybe it's, they're playing it on purpose this way to depict Shirley kind of separating for her emotionally from her husband. And so there's going to be a, a nod to that at the end of the season. Um, or maybe it was, I don't know what they're doing, but anyway, I just thought it was a little weird how a little bit distant they seemed, but again, maybe I'm reading into it, but anyway, so the, the episode where Shirley ends and it's like, She's checking her phone. She's becoming paranoid. She's checking her phone to make sure the thing is not bugged in her. When I guess it's her apartment or her headquarters or whatever. Um, because she now thinks that she's being bugged and she's being more paranoid and the pressure is getting to her. But she's not seen as fragile or weak. She just seems beleaguered. She just seems like run down, right? By all the opposition to people that she thought were friends. And, you know, just... Um, just with everything that's happening, like she really wants this. She can taste it. She really believes that she can be president, but she doesn't think that she has the support of other people to help her become president. And so I'm a, I think I'm mixing episodes. I might be mixing episodes here between her episode and Betty's, but I, uh, Betty for Dan's. But I think at one point they were heading to, it was getting closer to the Democratic nomination. And at her headquarters, they're like, we need a hundred. We need a hundred. She already had a certain number of delegates, right? She needed a hundred more to be able to, um, to, to be able to really be a serious contender and potentially win the nomination. And so she was on her way to beginning to pick those up. And so she began to galvanize all of her people to call folks and call in favors and things like that. And then there was a certain point where. I guess a word went out and she just started, people started jumping ship. So the movement that she was able to garner to generate and in getting delegates, she lost it. And so, um, oh, that's in, that's in Betty for Dan's episode. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so, so 
I'm, I believe. Anyway, I'll just, I'll just, I'll finish this and then I'll slide right into Betty for Dan's episode. So, um, so she at one point begins to pick up, she had 50 delegates and she just needed a certain number more. And so she was beginning to pick them up. And then it's like, all of a sudden over the next day or two, a word goes out to jump ship and her delegates begin to jump ship. And so not only does she lose what traction she did gain, but then she starts to lose what she already had. And so the NAACP backs McGovern because they think that McGovern is a, a viable candidate, which implies that Shirley is not. And then, of course, you know, Bella Abzug was not supporting her because, again, she considered Shirley's run to be symbolic and and nothing more. And so um, so she doesn't have the support from the women's movement she, to, to, for her campa- campaign. She doesn't have it from the NAACP. And she decides at that moment that she's going to drop out of the race. Um, so she drops out of the race and she's looking defeated, but she's still strong, which I don't know. That's a hard one to do. And certainly kudos to Uzo for portraying that, because how do you portray defeat and pride at the same time? Pride in what you did at the same time. That's like. That's a hard one to do, but because Uzo Adobe is, is a great actress, a great actor, you know, she can do that, which is why I appreciate her. Um, but yeah, you could just tell it's just like, so I'm here. I believe in myself. I still believe in myself, regardless of what other people think. And I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep my head. I'm going to keep going forward. And so, of course, um, you know, she ends They make it down to the Democratic nomination or to the floor. And, you know, she because she was a candidate, she now has to show solidarity behind McGovern. Um, Oh, there was a scene. I'm missing a scene. There was a scene where she was really garnering support and really talking about the issues uh, among women. And it was just supposed to be her. And then George McGovern comes in. And so you know, it becomes this thing where she gets more ignited. And, and in that moment, she really thinks that she's going to take over. And it's at this point where she offends, um, she offends, uh, Bella Abzug because now she's becoming inflammatory. And she's saying essentially in her words that she could, she is a better candidate than McGovern in front of McGovern, essentially, and she's talking to this huge auditorium, but McGovern comes in because he's the shining star, right? And he's going to, you know, come in and talk to all these women. And, um, Shirley uses this opportunity to try to really make her case, especially in front of McGovern. And of course, Bella is frustrated because she's not supposed to be doing that. And then, oh, by the way, when Shirley finishes, she leaves the stage. And then on the dais is supposed to be Bella, uh, Bella, um, Gloria, and I believe Glory, because I think she still is the spokeswoman. She ended up taking the spokeswoman position. Um, and I think Betty for Dan is on the stage too. But Bell, uh, but um, when Charlotte Chisholm leaves, so too does Gloria. Because again, Gloria is saying, "I'm still backing. I'm still backing Shirley." Because at that point, Shirley still has the votes. She still has the support. She hasn't lost. She hasn't lost the NAACP yet, and she's looking to be a really strong candidate because she showed up McGovern to his face in front of all these women who now could turn around and vote for her. 
um, or influence people to vote for for her. And so that happens. But then again, it's like a word goes out, everybody back, let's unify and let's back McGovern so that we can be a stronger, uh, a stronger force. And oh, by the way, Shirley, release your delegates. And so it's at this point where she starts to lose a lot of her support, even the support that she had before she went to the, de- the convention. And then she decides that she's going to release her delegates and drop out of the race. And so we're left at that. We're left at her being defeated, but still being proud that she wasn't running a symbolic race. She was running a race that she actually thought she could win. And that's different than a lot of people around her because except for her immediate, except for her people and some of the women in the women's movement who supported her, not everybody believed that. And one of the cool things that the show did was that they gave us live footage or actual footage from the time asking if they thought Shirley could be, um, uh, could run for president. And it was really interesting to see Young, young people, old people, of course, black people and men. Oh, there was an old white man, a young white man, and then a black man, middle aged, who said, yeah, Shirley could be president. But the black man said, yeah, she could be president, but she's not going to win. And that she's not going to win comes from comes from the fact that uh, we knew what time it was. Black folks knew what time it was. We knew that that the just like that old joke that said ain't never going to be it's probably never going to be a black president is, is the same reason that joke comes from somewhere. And that is the idea that white people will never vote for somebody black. Right now, what we know is that it would take an exceptional candidate and Obama was that exceptional candidate. Um, that's historic and still is. And the reality of it is, regardless of what you think about Obama's politics, because certainly not every black person likes Obama's politics. And a lot of black people think that he was just as bad as Bush in many ways. Um, and a lot of non-black people think that too. And just look at his track record, especially in, in the war and the, um, look at his track record in Iraq, look at his track record in deportations. Um, can't hardly argue those things, but the point is that was a big deal. Right. And so a big deal to us when he won and won re-election. Now, just imagine, you know, the skepticism, the skepticism that was around in the 70s was huge, was even larger. There's no way that Shirley's going to win, even though she'd be the right person for the job. She could get a lot accomplished. I believe in her. These white people ain't going to vote for her. They're not. And there's and we don't have enough support in our community to carry her. And that's true. One, when a person runs for president, it's rare for you. You have to get everybody to vote for you. You have to get every, most everybody, or at least more than 50 percent of at least 51, 52 percent of the voting body to vote for you. And that includes a lot of people that don't look like you. And so that was going to be nearly impossible and certainly was impossible um, back in the 70s. That wasn't going to happen. For her to even be a, a Democratic nominee, let alone be the president, right? So I, in this episode, what I wanted was more about her personal life. I didn't get that, but of course, I didn't really get that for Gloria either. We got that, and we continue to get that for Phyllis. We learned that, again, throughout these last three episodes, Phyllis really does have way more in common with the women in the libbers, as she says, than she doesn't. Yet she has, again, because she's power hungry and and hungry for fame, she's leaning into this role as the heel 
so that she can get what she wants, even though she has way more in common with the Libras than she's letting on. And so that episode three, Shirley's episode ends in her defeat or in her um, giving up her delegates. And we open up and we focus on Betty for Dan. And again, this the show does this really weird thing where it goes like an inch deep on the characters and Betty for Dan's character. We, you know, we learn that at this point, she's like, I know what y'all say behind my back and the women's movement. She knows how Bella and Gloria and a lot of the leaders in the women's movement kind of regard her as a dinosaur, essentially. And not a dinosaur because of her age, but a dinosaur in terms of you started this thing, but now we're taking it over and your ideas aren't new. They're not fresh. You're too much of a loose cannon. And, you know, you should just be grateful that take these flowers that I'm giving you, even though you want more and you want to do more and you want to stay relevant. Take these flowers that I give you, you go sit in a corner, right? Um, your time is up. And it is so interesting that <laughs> I don't know if the show did this on purpose or, well, I'm sure it did it on purpose, but the, the parallel that I could draw between how the women's movement treated her or were began to treat her versus how, society at the time treated unmarried women or women who were divorced was parallel in my opinion like they were essentially saying well we got the best out of you and now you're useless so just go sit in the corner and be be an old hag basically um and I'm like how are you not how are you guys you Bella and you Gloria not treating her the same as society at the time was treating unmarried older women like they were useless and just should be shut up and not seen, right? And so we we know that, you know, we learn that um, Bella is divorced and she has a child who's a teen, I guess, and that her husband left her for a younger woman, which happen, has always happened, will continue to happen. Spouses, excuse me, spouses will leave other spouses for younger people, especially if that spouse that is leaving is insecure about them getting older. Now that is just me projecting, but that's just what it feels like, man. Like why else would you leave someone that you'd build a whole life together for someone who y'all basically have nothing to talk about. Y'all have nothing in common. Why in the heck would somebody go for somebody 20 years, there's junior, unless it was purely about the physical, unless it was more about you feeling invincible and young instead of, you having a connection with this person that goes beyond the physical. Anyway, so she's been left by her husband for a younger woman and her daughter is a teenager now. And so she's trying to come to terms with that. And she's trying to come to terms with the fact that the women in the women's movement don't really respect her the same way. And she has this interesting conversation with her neighbor who I cannot, is that Kristen Wiig? I can't tell if that's Kristen, Kristen Wiig or not. But the woman looks like Kristen Wiig. Anyway, um, that comedian that was on SNL. Anyway, um, the her Kristen Wiig's character, I believe it's Kristen Wiig, tells her, you know, you can do whatever you want. You're still relevant. The up until this point, the Bella and um, Gloria haven't really been paying Phyllis any attention. Oh, but Betty has. Betty's been paying her some attention because I don't know if Betty lives in Illinois. I think she's not in Illinois. Maybe she is in Illinois, but she's definitely paid attention to her and she's not, she's been watching her and watching her grow. Um, and while Betty for, while Bella Abzug and Gloria Steinem have been like, oh, well, she'll fizzle out. Don't give her any attention. 
Betty is like, oh no, I must, I must take her down because she's only getting bigger. And so her, Kristen Wiig, I believe, again, I believe it's Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig's character gasses her up and says, you know what? You are relevant. So go ahead and, um, go ahead and do you, boo. You know what I mean? Go ahead and, um, challenge her, challenge her, throw your weight around because you started this thing. Don't forget. No one should forget that you started this thing. So hold on. I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the actors list just to see if Kristen Wiig is in there. And I don't think she is. I think it might be somebody else. Hold on. I'm looking one more time. No, it's not her. It wasn't Kristen Wiig. It's somebody else. Who's her friend? Maybe it's I have no idea who this person is. Oh, it's Elizabeth Banks. No, Elizabeth Banks is someone else. Elizabeth Banks is Shirley McLean, which, by the way, Elizabeth Banks makes an, a cameo as Shirley McLean throughout all of these episodes. Somehow or another, she finds her way in. Um, oh, it's Ari Grainer, who looks like Kristen Wiig a little bit. But anyway, um, yeah, so she's been gassed up a little bit to... She's been gassed up to essentially challenge Phyllis to a debate. And so you see Phyllis preparing for a debate with uh, Betty and um, Phyllis's husband um, basically really goes for, for Phyllis's jugular regarding her, how her mother was treated after her husband, her father passed away and the fact that her mother got no pension, got, had, was not entitled to any of his pension and was basically left on her own to be supported by her daughter, which is Phyllis. And that hurt Phyllis real, real bad. But her husband pulled, uh, basically said that to prove a point in a debate, you've got to be ready to knock your, your opponent off guard. And so, yes, that hurts you. But my point is you got to be dirty. You got to go there. If you want to win this debate, if you want to turn this tide. And so Phyllis learns a valuable lesson and because Betty for Dan is no punk and Betty for Dan is going to steamroll you because she is a wild card because she will do what she has to do because she's been such a important, she is such an important figurehead and you know, she's, she's not going to be a slouch. And so her husband, she's debating, prepping with her husband. And then we flash forward to Betty for Dan, who goes to this party. And again, once again, she feels completely alienated and isolated by Gloria and Bella. Um, but Shirley gives her some attention because again, Shirley has just given up all of her delegates and has come to the realization that the women's movement, the leaders of the women's movement really weren't going to be for her because even Gloria Steinem flipped on her in the end. The one person that kept saying, oh yeah, I'm going to support you. I'm going to support you. Bella got to her and said, well, if you're going to be a leader, you got to start learning how to play these politics. And so in playing politics, again, Gloria was about in getting the, the uh, abortion rights into the ERA. And so she decides that she's going to back McGovern if McGovern agrees to get um, abortion rights in this, um, in the legislation. And instead of saying abortion rights, she says human rights or women's rights, women's reproductive rights or whatever. Um, McGovern agrees, his people agree. And then, but as a result, she backs, she agrees to back McGovern. And so that was the, one of the death nails in, um, or the death knell in, um, in Shirley's campaign or her bid to become the nominee. 
And so anyway, um, so yeah, so, um, so oh, I lost my train of thought. So anyway, so at this party, uh, Betty for Dan is just standing in the corner mad because she's again, feeling dejected, feeling like she's not being considered, not being taken seriously. And so, um, so yeah, so, um, where was I going? So like, she's not being taken seriously. And so, um, she, you know, she's eating hors d'oeuvres or whatever. And then Shirley comes in and they have a moment. And then Shirley goes over to Bella and, um, Gloria. And of course, Bella and Gloria accept her with open arms, even though Shirley is side-eyeing them a little bit. Cause they, she was like, you left me high and dry, but I'm gonna play it cool. I'm gonna play it cool. And then here comes Betty for Dan and they try to make nice with her. Not, not Shirley. Cause again, Shirley was always been cool with Betty, but, um, Bella and uh, Gloria try to make nice with, with Betty. And it's in that moment where they, Betty brings up Phyllis and saying that we, you know, they need to take, they need to be more or take more attention, um, pay more attention to, um, to, uh, to Phyllis. And it's in this moment that they have this exchange. And then Gloria says, let's just make a pact right now that we're not going to engage with her. And then everybody looks at Betty. Everybody agrees. And then they look at Betty because Betty hasn't said anything until this point. And then Betty's like, oh, okay, sure. All right. Of course, she she agrees. But it's like her fingers are crossed behind her back because, of course, she moves forward and she debates Phyllis. Right. And then that's when we get the scene where Phyllis is prepping for Betty for Dan. And then fast forward we see an in, we see a moment where Betty is going out on dates, and she's talking about on this particular date before the uh, before the debate. She's out on this date with someone, and um, she's essentially talking about all the things she did years ago, right? And you can tell that she's like, "Yeah, I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff I should, that I should be proud of. Again, she's getting her win back because, you know, she's forgotten. And certainly people have not been reminding her of all the really great things that she's done in a way that makes sense, in a way that is not patronizing. And so she's out on this date and she's enjoying herself, but it's clear that she really still had, she feels like she has something to prove. And so she really, it's like her heart really is in taking Phyllis down through this debate. So that scene ends and we get to the debate itself and the debate is going how you think it would go. Phyllis is not prepared. She's prepared, but she's not. Debate prepping with your husband is not the same as is de- actually being in a debate with someone who is seasoned and knows what she's talking about and knows how to win over a crowd. So it's not going well for Phyllis in the very beginning, but you know, they take jabs back and forth and then uh, Phyllis gets a few in. And then toward the end, all of a sudden, Phyllis says something about the fact, brings up the fact that Betty's husband left her for a younger woman and she's just bitter about that. And that's why she's, she's in this women's movement. And then because that cut a nerve, that hit a nerve, Betty gets all upset and then threatens to burn Phyllis at the stake. And then the scene cuts with Phyllis smiling like she's won the debate and all smug and stuff. And again, I hate Kate Blanchett's character. I love Kate Blanchett. Hate that character. Hate Phyllis. Anyway, um so essentially the scene the the episode ends with um her of uh, Betty in defeat, but 
getting a phone call from Gloria who says, you know what, I've always respected to you and I can't say that I wouldn't have said anything worse to Phyllis if I were on that debate stage. I'm glad it was you rather than me. And then at the end, I can't tell what's happening, but I think Ms. Magazine is going to devote an issue to scandalizing Phyllis or something like that. So whereas before they weren't paying attention to Phyllis, now they are going to be paying attention to Phyllis because of Betty Friedan. And so I don't know where that leaves Betty and Gloria and um, Bella and all of this, but I definitely know things are going to change. Also, something important to note in this episode, that um, Niecy Nash's character defects. Niecy Nash's character and another character who is a reporter leave the women's movement to start the women's movement. Um, They recognize that you only probably have momentum from the black women for a little while, but we need to break off from y'all because... We're not getting the respect or the attention that we deserve. And it's clear from how y'all did Shirley that you're more, you're more about getting what's best for you instead of what's best for all of us. And even though we're all women, black women need a little bit more attention and maybe we are the only ones that can get this done for us. And so um, it's a sentiment that it's a sentiment that still persists today. Um, while it's attractive for all of us to work together, it still kind of can be difficult sometimes because when you're in the women's movement, sometimes you don't get the attention paid to issues that impact all of us in different ways, culturally in different ways. And I just think, I think we're trying to do things differently now, but certainly back in the day, it was more about we're women, we're women. And there's certainly still, still a faction of, of women globally that just don't look at culture, don't look at ethnicity. They say, we're all women and we all have the same issues. And that's, that's not reality. That's not true. That just isn't true. Women, black women, what we know in the United States is that black women specifically in pregnancy have higher child mortality rates. Why? Um, child mortality rates or mortality rates themselves in childbirth. Why is that? Because what we know is a lot of stars, especially uh, uh, most notably um, Serena Williams, mentioned that it's oftentimes they have to argue with the doctors to be believed about what's going on with them. So just imagine if you got Serena Williams in here trying to plead with a doctor that, listen, something is wrong with me. I need you to pay attention in this very specific way. And she's having to plead with her own doctors who are charged with her care to care for her better. How much more would a regular person, a regular black woman have to fight to be uh, supported to make sure that her needs were being met in the medical field? Right. So that is not something that affects white women the same as black women. It's, in the United States, it just doesn't. And that is something that needs to be paid attention to, right? You have to, you can't ignore, you can't be colorblind when it comes to issues that are clearly impacting specific ethnic groups, specific cultural groups of people. And that is something that what I know, it has been an issue and certainly was an issue that the show brought up without going into those details, the show brought up in this episode. Um, it began to talk about it a little bit in episode in Shirley's episode when it was clear that they were more so instead of supporting this black woman and this woman president um, and throwing their weight behind her, you know, that they were jumping ship. And so it was more evident in Betty's episode when it was clear that, yeah, um, not only are you not here supporting the needs of the black woman in a way that makes sense, but you're also not even supporting the queer 
women in ways that make sense. And also there was a great comment about how um, Niecy Nash's character was like, okay, so what we not going to do is be anti-gay, anti-queer. We've got lesbian women in this group and we're going to continue to have lesbian women in this group. We're going to fight for us. We're going to get what's ours, right? And then again, the thing that I love that Niecy Nash's character did is said, we only got y'all attention for a couple of years because that's tends to how how it is tends to be how it is in some grassroots um programs and movements that you only really have people for a certain amount of time before you have to go recruit new people who are younger and get them for the same amount of time right because that's just the way things go sometimes um so I just I really appreciated this episode again I wanted to hear more I wanted to hear more about um, Betty for Dan, more of her backstory other than what they're doing. But this is kind of the theme, right? They go an inch deep on all of these characters because they just feel like they have so much to say, I guess. I just wish they would drill down and focus more. Give me more episodes, but more detail in those episodes. Um, also, I want I hope there's an episode about um, Bella coming because I would want to know more about her. I also want an episode about Nisi, but I know that's not coming. Um probably what will happen, and I think I saw the episode list, is that there's going to be an episode focusing on Phyllis, Gloria, uh, Shirley, Betty, and Bella. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit of all of them, and especially as it relates to them coming up to fight for the ERA. It's already been passed at this point, but now the states are ratifying it to remove a lot of uh, protections that were a part of it. And so, of course, there's going to be this big fight where they're all coming together because, duh, but I'm just, I just want more than what the show is giving me. And maybe I'm just being too critical. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm being hypercritical, but I guess I just want more. So um, at the time I'm recording this, episode five comes out tonight. And hold on, let me just see what that is titled. Miss America episode. Hold on, my bad. Episodes. Oh, there is a Bella one. There is a Bella episode. Look at that. So there's a, okay. So then the episode that's coming out um, at the time I'm recording this or recording this piece of it is Phyllis, Fred, Brenda, and Mark. Um, And then episode six is Jill, which is next week. And episode seven is Bella. Um, So, okay. And, but there's two more left. So I don't know what the other episodes are 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 titled because again it goes to nine episodes and they've only given out to may 13th but we know that the show ends at the end of may um so we'll see but i'm not going to review i like so i'm stopping at episode four which is uh, betty which aired last week um and maybe i'll come back and i'll just in another episode once this is finished i'll just do a general recap of the whole show as part of another show um and talk about it but yeah um I enjoy this show. I enjoyed, even though it's it's going inch deep on some of these characters. I do not like Phyllis's character. I, I do not like Phyllis at all. And I think I've been saying this whole thing wrong. It's not Miss America. It's Mrs. America. No way. It's Mrs. America because Miss America is a single woman. Mrs. America, which is Phyllis, is is an actual woman because she's married and she has kids, right? But again, what we know is that she has way more in common with Gloria, Bella, and Betty, and even Shirley, than she has with the women 
in many ways that she's sitting around the table with because she's ambitious, she's super smart, and she wants to affect change. She's not actually, I don't think she believes half the stuff that she's touting, but because this is the way that she can get the fame that she wants, this is the path that she's taking. So anyway, um, yeah, are you watching this show? Um, If you are, I'd love to hear from you about what you think about it. Um, Certainly, you know, you can leave me a message um, and talk about, you know, especially if you have more insight on this time frame, I'd love to hear from you, um, you know, regarding what you think about the show, how accurate the portrayals are. I know that there are uh, whole uh, articles devoted to some of the episodes, especially the Shirley's episode about what the show got right and what the show got wrong about it. Um, and so I haven't read it yet. I think I will read that. But if you um, have found any articles that you think might be interesting, go ahead and shoot me a little note. Um, all you have to do is click the show notes and there's a link that will take you to a voicemail or a voice message, uh, through anchor that all you have to do is click a button, record a message and boom, you don't have to download anything. And I will get that message just as soon as you send it. Um, and while you're there, if you want to donate, that would be cool too. Even 99 cents would be a helpful contribution. However, if that's not your thing, um, just leave me a favorable rating, uh, five stars, please, which would be great on any of the platforms where you listen. So Anchor, of course, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, CastBox, Pocket Cast, um, Player FM, any one of the places where you listen, um, leave me a favorable rating um, and or share an episode, any episode that you think that anybody in your friend group or your circle would appreciate because at the end of the day, as I always say, that is going to help um, kind of increase, the expand the reach of this show, um, which is at the end of the day what I want because I enjoy doing this uh, week after week um, and I want to keep doing it. So thank you so much in advance for any way that you decide to help me. Okay, at this time, I'm going to end this episode. So thank you so much for listening. Um, Until next time.